0: Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we will be talking about how to have a successful marriage. In fact, what does that mean to have a successful marriage? What is a successful marriage? And what are common mistakes, easy mistakes that can be avoided? We will be talking not only to those who are currently married, but also to young men, young women who are in Shiduchim, or even earlier, what do you need to do to prepare for a successful marriage? We will also talk about when things get tough, when there are turbulence during marriage, how should those be handled. And we will also be talking about specific issues that come up, very common issues that come up. For example, how money should be spent, there are disagreements over that, having additional children, conflicting minhagim, where to send the kids to school, and much more. Joining us, Amir Tashem, we will have four experts in these areas. We will be starting off with the renowned Rabbi Yaakov Neuberger, the Rabbi of Congregation Beth, Abraham in Bergenfield New Jersey he is also a Rosh Yeshiva at Reitz so when I contacted him asking him to come on to this show his response was he's happy to do so and let's try to do it as late as possible at night actually that was in the morning he was proposing one two in the morning and he does get up the next morning early for Minion Baruch Hashem he has a huge Kehillah and he has many Talmidim and delighted that he was able to join us on today's show then we will go forward and meet with the renowned Mrs. Hani Juravel, the popular lecturer and therapist who will have a lot of interesting things to say about our topic. Tremendous experience that she has in the area of bayis, marriage and uh, discord in marriage. Then we will go speak with Dr. David Lieberman, the internationally renowned speaker and author. Dr. Lieberman, if you are listening to this, I am listening to your terrific Shira Mantara. Anytime I started in reverse and now I am on number 10, but I listen to each one more than one. And tremendously enjoying. So thank you for those Shiurim. And then we will culminate with the noted Magid Rabbi Pesach Kron. That is always an enjoyable experience. Before we go to our guests, just a quick thought. One of the Shever Brachas, we say as follows Te Samach etc. And the explanation, the translation in the English is the Bracha baruchu, that Hashem should gladden these beloved companions, these loving friends in front of us. Talk talking to the Hassan and Kala just as he brought happiness and joy to his creations in and referring to Adam and Chava. And the Yalkut HaGershuni has an unbelievable explanation of this bracha. He says that we are saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that to these Reim Ahuvim, these companions, these beloved companions, you should be mesameach them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as you brought the Simcha originally to Adam and Chava. What does that mean? And it, he explains as follows that the Ava, that the love that they have one to the other, should be Eina Tluya but that it is not dependent on any external forces, any external needs and desires, not external motivations, but it should be Lishma. Ahava, Lishma, and not because of any ulterior motives. For example, it shouldn't be a marriage that is based on money. He had money, she had money. That is not a proper motivation to getting married. Or it shouldn't be based on Yofi, looks or Mishpacha, or the Yichas. But rather our Tvila is as follows, it should be just because the Kodesh Baruch Hu was Mizdaveg, them together. Just like Adam and Chava, there was no Mamon, there wasn't an issue there because they owned everything, Adam owned everything. There was no beauty competing because there was only one woman in the world, there was no Yichas, they were the first in the world. The same thing here, we shouldn't be looking at those external issues, but rather Rak Bishvil, this is the language of the Yalkut HaGir Shoni, just because the Kodesh Baruch Hu was Mizdaveg, them together together. So, in fact, I remember hearing a really nice Tvartara from Rabbi Yisach, our friend, and he was quoting Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky explaining why the Mamar Chazal that it is Mizdavgim, Zivug, that as Zivug is Kasha is as difficult for a Kaddish Baruch Why do we say Zivugim is difficult for a Kaddish Baruch Why not Shiduchim? And I hope I remember this correctly. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky explains a Shiduch is simply marrying off two together. This is a Shiduch boy, girl, get married, man, woman, get married. That's the shidduch. The marriage was done. But a zivog isn't only getting into the marriage, but it is the continuation ongoing for years and years and years. And why is that kasha kakriyash yamsuf? Because it takes work, it takes effort, ongoing throughout a marriage. And he says, we said, have the same mamar khazal when it comes to a parnassa. That's kasha kakrias yamsu. Why kasha kakrias yamsu? Same thing with a parnassa. You can't just go in cruise control thinking the Parnasa would come, come in. If you're in business, you have to be constantly innovating. You have to constantly be looking for new approaches. You have to be looking at what the competition is doing. It takes innovation, innovation always. And you can be in business for 20 years, but if you're not innovating and paying attention to the needs of the customers, that business can go bankrupt. And the same thing Rav Yaakov says applies to Zivuging a marriage. You can have a successful marriage for 20 years but if it's not a focus, if it's not that people are putting an effort to their marriage, it can go bankrupt as well. Just on a similar note, I heard a very beautiful vort. I'm pretty sure I heard it uh, from Rav Hilo Rotman, a Rosh Chabura at the Mir a a number of years ago. And he asked as follows, why don't we say Shehechayanu at a Now the man should say Shehechayanu. Why doesn't he say Shehechayanu? So he answers as follows, the concept of Shehechayanu is on a fruit, a new fruit, a new piece of clothing when that item is at its best. And thereafterward, It's going to degrade. The fruit won't be as fresh. It's not going to be as good on the tree. Beautiful piece of clothing, when it's brand new, it's brand new. We love a brand new piece of clothing, a brand new suit, something fancy. But thereafter, after wearing, after dry cleaning, it will degrade. So you want to say Shekheyanu at the best point, which is typically when it's new. On the other hand, when it comes to a marriage, the hope is that that marriage will improve and get better and better. And accordingly, he said, it's not appropriate to say a Shekheyanu at a... A wedding because we're hoping that we're starting at the lower point and it will only grow better and better from there. So that's all background for our show and now we'll have a related riddle of the week. For today's riddle, it's actually going to relate to the Yarkov Gershoni, where we mentioned that the Yarkov Gershoni says that the bracha sameach tesamach reymah huvim, that we should have an ahava she'en luyah bedavar, that we should not be looking at money and beauty and mishpacha, mamon yofi mishpacha, but rather it should only be ahava she'en luyah bedavar. The question is as follows. A simple question, maybe a simple answer, don't know. Where in Tehilim do we have a Pasuk? Again, where in Tehillim do we have a Pasuk that has a remis to this Tvar Torah given over by the Yalkut Hagir Shoni? There it is, that's the question. Where in Tehillim, where's the Pasuk? What's the remis in the Pasuk to this Tvar Torah?
1: If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen... In America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz it's
0: 02372-0304. And now, let's go to our guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Yaakov Newberger. Rabbi Neuberger is a Rosh Yeshiva at Reitz and is also the rabbi of Congregation Beth Abraham in Bergenfield, New Jersey, where he has been the Rav since 1990. In addition to being a Rav, he has a degree in psychology from Columbia University. Rabbi Newberger, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Now, Rabbi Neuberger, I, I looked up your bio, and one of the things I saw was that you are a a, uh, a source of a lot of advice in Shalom Bayes and uh, Teach Hassanim and the like. If I can ask you, what is the most common, number one, Shalom Bayes question that you get asked?
2: The most common issue which comes my way is uh, couples who feel they're living sort of parallel lives, and they're not... Uh, connected in the way that they had anticipated, that their understanding of what a home should be, which I think is correct and accurate, is that the two should be much, much more involved, much more kugufajas And uh, because of the busyness of life and the stresses of life, so they feel that they're, they're living parallel. They're not communicating deeply enough. They're not uh, having enough fun with each other. Um, they don't feel a real sense of, uh, of, of deep concern. Uh, the functional concern, yeah. Getting things moving, yeah. But a deep concern for the be nice about all of each other. So that's, the, that I think is what comes my way, that, that disappointment.
0: And, and what point in the marriage is that? Is that typically newlyweds one year, two years, or even 10, 20, 30, 40 years into the marriage?
2: Unfortunately, I see it, uh... You see it at all sorts of different points. You see it, it presents a little bit differently because when it's very, very young, so then it creates a sense of that was a, was a good decision. On the other hand, there's openness and they understand they're young and there's a learning curve and they have to build. When it's uh, while they're rearing children, so then disappointment uh, is much deeper. And and the sense the sense of Yish is... Uh, is much more significant so but uh, but i unfortunately and I, I can't say i see this in, in large numbers in large percentages but uh, that to my mind is the what comes my way most that sense of disappointment
0: uh-huh interesting and and would you say that it's typically the man is at work he's living his life because of his involvement at work and the woman is at home or do you also have this when you have both of them working and they're also living their parallel lives that way I, I see
2: it in both. I see that uh, the, I see it in both when it's, they're both in, um, in businesses or they're both in uh, professional lives. So there may be a little bit more of an understanding of uh, at least how they got to that point. Um, but when the, when, when was, when the spouse, when his wife is seen as the major home uh, builder, so then the disappointment is even more significant because there's a greater sense of sacrifice, which there is, and, uh, and a greater sense of being a provider. So uh, I, don't, I don't think it's limited to one situation or the other.
0: Uh, and what's the aid of that you give when uh, they're in this situation? So the, it's more
2: um, trying to give them tools to connect better. To, uh, trying to figure out why they're not connecting, where the disappointment comes in. First of all, to uh, give them a sense that it's a around them. it is not uniquely their their relationship, and uh, to be more appreciative of what each one is doing, to be more appreciative of of gender differences, and uh, and I think to describe to them how fulfilling the relationship could be what they can you know what they were dreaming for and what they anticipated is accurate. is great that's what it's supposed to be and develop communication skills if if the relate this if the relationship has come to the point of being not fully functional then it requires professional intervention but if it's um a functioning relationship, but they want this relationship to be a better, deeper relationship, then it's giving chizuk, giving uh, skills, giving positive reinforcement, and giving each one the excitement to to work on it, to build together, and to positively reinforce each other.
0: Now, if I would ask you, the second most common issue that uh, a husband and wife come to you with?
2: That probably is uh, handling the stresses of life. That, that our couples nowadays, I believe are under much greater stress than uh, than previous generations as indicated by the amount of um, the numbers of people who are on different uh, drugs to alleviate uh, stress and anxiety. And um, I mean, non-clinical anxiety. So the, the stress of life that all our wives are handling multiple loads. Besides, some our wives are uh, taking care of the family, and uh, and they're working very hard, usually earning either partial or even more than partial Parnosa. And then we've uh, gone down a, a, a pathway which is um, probably unwise in uh, in creating an expectation for our wives and to be uh, to have full professional lives. And then uh, then they go to parenting shira. Sure. And then they go to someone by the serum, and then they go to other shirum, and, and the, the pressure that is pre- placed on our wives and our families is uh, very, very substantial. So handling those stresses, and the stresses which come from parents and from in-laws, so that I think is the, the second greatest concern that comes my way.
0: So we have stresses coming from all directions, all directions. So obviously Corona didn't help, but it sounds like the issues that you're pointing out are, are independent of Corona.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, uh, some, things have been, some things were exacerbated and something things were eased because of um, both spouses being home together more. Uh, so I, I, I haven't seen uh, that Corona was a, a significant change in these issues.
0: Interesting. that If uh, Hassan Kala or, or it could be later on when people come to you with issues and and uh, you want to tell them what's the most important thing to focus on? Like what's the most important ingredient for success in marriage? What would you say?
2: I think that the uh, Chazal see husbands and wives as, as being givers to each other and uh, getting excitement out of being givers and appreciating that the uh, Ava love is providing for each other. And in um, the sense of, uh, of being water, of being that uh, letting go of one's own self-centeredness, uh, making the family the center. So I think that's, uh, I think that a close second to that is understanding differences, understanding gender differences, and understanding that one can build on those differences rather than uh, see them as a weakness, see them as a strength. Hassanim, I often suggest that they read uh, John Garay's first book, Men Are For Mars, Women Are For Me, just to get an appreciation in our own cultural language that there are significant gender differences, but those can be great strengths if one appreciates them.
0: Right, absolutely. So, uh, obviously, there are disagreements, and oftentimes people will come to you when they disagree about various things. So, is there a halacha or a chazal that guides us in understanding how disagreements machlokah should be dealt with between spouses? There are specific areas
2: uh, when there are when there's a competition of uh, of agendas or needs or uh, issues between parents and spouse, when there are very specific issues, whether it's uh, chinuch or whether it's uh, numbers of children. So there are specific areas where halacha gives us a guidance to work with, at least a model to work with. And then there's the b'chlal, the chabda yersi gufai, that it is, it, it is heavily the husband's responsibility to make sure that the home is a happy home quotes and this is husband's responsibility. to appreciate the source of bracha that his wife is, and that's it. Says naksuva, right? And in the modern world. So, so uh, of fairness, A lot of us aren't doing. At least we should be doing oyker. At least we should that we can all do. He don't need to be rich to do oikir. So, uh, so it is the husband's responsibility. More than the wives to create a home that is, uh, that is uh, that's fun and happy and upbeat and uh, when one feels a being uplifted and warm
0: mm-hmm. and appreciated and appreciated, Appreciate yeah, yeah, very much so. So, a uh, husband wife comes to you, and and sometimes uh, since 1990, so that you've been a rub for over 30 years of, of the same shul. And you probably see recurring issues. I've I've been there, done that, seen this one again and again and again. And sometimes you you I probably often, you have a hunch, he's wrong, she's right, she's right, she's wrong, he's acting inappropriately. How do you deal with it when you have both spouses in front of you and you know that one is in the right and one is in the wrong? First of all,
2: never to say I've seen this before. <laughs> never to say. Uh, <laughs> it's always and, different. And, and, you know, it's two different people, two different ways of looking at things. And uh, and I think a rub to be, if a rub communicates that you that you are dealing with something that's uniquely yours, so I think then they will take ownership over it. I think it's an MS because no two people are alike and no people emote in the same way. And it's very often by uh, asking each one to do some, their own role playing. And I'll sometimes to get, have them figure out to have, sometimes when I meet with them separately, I'll say, well, when I discuss this with your husband, with your wife, what's he or she going to say? And their, their own, uh, when they work in their own minds, what their husband or wife is going to say, that's going to be very helpful to understanding each other. So, you know, clearly wrong, very, very rare is there, a, in, in husbands and wives situations, is there clearly wrong, clearly right. Even in Dine Torah, we talk about having a pshara because there's always uh, a way of understanding each side so uh, sometimes there, there is we do have some clarity and if we can help them have clarity for example when there are when there are when there's a competition between a spousal need and a parental need so there Allah is very clear that the spousal need uh, comes first so that there is some clarity over there but uh, to give each one an appreciation for how important taking care of parents are and taking care of parents, how that's going to then reflect on how one's children will relate to to the people in front of us. So that helps soften uh, a uh, sometimes the clarity of who's right and who's not in the right this particular time.
0: And uh, you mentioned before uh, calling in basically reinforcements in the form of a therapist. So at one point, when you have an issue between spouses, you say, "I need to move this over to the professional realm." Whether we have to
2: appreciate one of the one uh, event uh, that has changed over the course of many years is that we now have so many Baruch Hashem from therapists who really understand uh, from kite and who will be encouraging. Of the families to deepen their their from sea, and see yerusha'aim and avashemaim as a source of strength. So the the concern that rabbis had thirty years ago, and they're interested in holding on to it and not giving it over to a therapist. We don't have that anymore. We uh, and there's so many therapists that will work with the rav, and it'll be uh, it'll be the spot it'll be the the, the family the couple the therapist and the rav working together. So I think we should be much much easier in terms of handing it over to, uh, to therapist, In my mind, um, first of all, if, if the family is not functional, then that's usually the simon, that, uh, and, and halakha as well. Halakha dysfunctional is a sign of a holy. So if a family is not fully functional, then there's a good chance that we need to have a therapist uh, to help work things out and goes beyond the rabbi the rabbi can give chizuk. the rabbi shouldn't be giving therapy um and in my mind once it's something that uh, can't really be significantly helped and fixed in one or two meetings then i think that's already a sign that it belongs in the in the realm of a, a therapist even just to evaluate let, let a therapist evaluate whether this is something the rabbi should be doing and if it's Something the rabbi should be doing. The therapist will help the rabbi work it out. If, if
0: the rub is getting drawn into meeting after meeting and after meeting, it's, it's time to to move absolutely, it over. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you a number of issues. When people come to you, husband and wife, and they have a shalom bias issue, I would think these are fairly common ones. They have disagreements on having additional children. Yeah. And I, I would guess that she is done and he's not. May, you know that may be more common. I'd love to hear if that's the case or not. That would be my assumption. No, no
2: not at all. No. Not at all. No, no, the no. The opposite.
0: No. Okay, strike yeah. that from the record. Strike it from the record. Yeah. What what happens, and what do you say?
2: It's it's the it's the only case we can't
0: compromise,
2: right? So that's he makes it so difficult to uh, to, to address the situation.
0: Uh, unless he wants four and she wants zero, so you come out at two and, or something like
2: that. Yeah, yeah, usually it's the next one that comes up. It's uh, it's very rarely if it's I want four more. <laughs> so um, so in that situation, I think it's important there there are it's, it's the way you said it that where one spouse says i'm done i've, I've I'm, i see myself i see my life at a different stage but sometimes the couple will come together and one spouse says we have more than we can handle right now um, and it's not a question of finances. Finance like we can be we can help out. We can explain that to bring another Neshama to the world, so that's a claudius role advantage. Claudius has to help me out. So finances we try to put aside. But one spouse is we're, we're stressed out. We have uh, yeah, Baruch Hashem, we're handling, we're but we're at our wit's end right now. And we have and one child requires this extra people and requires extra people And the other spouse is saying, No, I I'll So then uh then we have to dig a little bit deeper. Then sometimes a- and make sure that the that the sense of being overwhelmed is is in the realm of, of appropriate. But in that case, I think that uh, the spouse which feels that they're being overwhelmed has to be respected and that the other spouse has to appreciate that this is a, an appropriate way to make a decision. Again, it has to be within the realm of, if one says, you know, one child, two children overwhelming, you have to figure that out, but if they have a number of children already, um, and to understand that that once the spouse that is saying I'm done, so to speak, has to appreciate the um significance of this decision. It's a, a decision which very rarely, if they're in the early 30s, we can we can we'll walk it back and it's not really a significant decision. But if they're in their late 30s, it's a very significant decision. And also appreciate, on the other hand, the powerful instinct that usually a woman has to want to be able to provide more life. So now that's one particular scenario. If it's a scenario where one says, "Look, I'm in a different stage of life, and you know, I'm uh, I, I'm at this age, I see myself," and the uh, so then we have to try to walk that back. Who says that there are uh, stages of life? Who says yeah, you can say, "I'm now in my mind, I have I have certain kabbalas of the way life should be"? Who said? Have to figure this out. Where do they come from? And uh, usually, it's the usually it's the husband that says. Um, I see myself in a different stage of life right now, and I have a hayyurah from a, one of the one of the that uh, that halacha does formulate the mitzvah of being the chiv and the husband. So he sees that halacha does make the husband the driver. But he said, on the other hand, the husband should be a nice guy and understand what's going in his wife's heart. So many men don't get the powerful maternal instinct that women have, and many men don't get. They uh, that this is a a, a life defining part of one's wife. It's for Mahus. So 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 my role is to explain to each of them what each one is going through in terms that they may not have thought of before. And uh, hopefully, if they have the wherewithal to have more children, hopefully by understanding where each one is at, we can move them to to appreciate. How they can help each other out, so to speak, <laughs> and, they- and then and then they have to be at peace with the decision. In other words, if, in a, to to, be, to to bring a child into this world and to feel. That I, I did this only for my spouse. I really don't, didn't want this to happen, but I did it for my. So, so that I don't think is fair to the child. I think it's that you have to come. That the spouse has to come with an appreciation that doing this for my spouse that's a great thing. I I, I take ownership of. I'm I'm excited about that. That's going to be a uh, it's going to be a big plus in, in in raising this child. And I love the child not only because he's my child, but I love the child because the child was a something that I was doing for our family. So that.
0: Uh, I would think that's a concept uh, that would exist regardless of the issue. You come to the rough, you get resolution, you got a PSOC or you got an ATSA. Don't be resentful from it. Move forward with a, with a smile, with an acceptance of it and, and no looking back.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to, right, to deepen the appreciation of what one's doing and make that part of how one feels good and positive with it. Okay,
0: yeah. so next, Shaila, they come to you and uh, different minhagim. They grew up with uh, different minhagim at the Pesach Seder or Gabrachs uh, or not, whatever it may be. And uh, she wants this way, he wants that way. How do you handle that?
2: So that's also an area where we have we have clarity in Allah. And that is that uh, that both the great Ashkenazim and the great Sardim, uh understand that the husband's menug is the minhag, it's kovey for the family. So that we have great clarity. Um, there are times when there are. I do believe there's a concept of a minhag For example, the uh, how many uh, candles a woman lights for Shabbos. So I think that that one does follow the mother's minhag. And I found it, Baruch Hashem, in the Gurkas of Rome Erlinger is at on He's lived recently, so he has also authored several volumes on Machshava. So I did find that in his uh, sefer that uh, there's such a thing as a minhag Things that that mothers. Pass on to their daughters, their daughters, so that uh, might trump the husband's um, greater greater ownership over the minhagim of the family. And then uh, there are situations where a husband, where he doesn't have him in a minhag, it doesn't have there like the Pesach Seder. So some things. Are are done by the minig of the husband. Let's say there is a minig that one's wives have, and the husband doesn't have a minig not to do that. So why not? Why not uh, introduce the minig of one's wife if it's a it's a good thing? It it uh, it gives my wife greater a greater presence, the 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 greater coverage. So why not do that out of coverage for one's wife, coverage for one's uh, for one's in laws? Very often. Um, such in my case, where when uh, to marry into Mishpachum Yuchasos. So there have been times historically where men who have married into, uh, into Yuchasos in Yisrael have taken on many of the practices of their wife's family. So it's, uh, so we have clarity of, of the starting point and the, and the context and where things should happen. And then sometimes, uh, we're able to
0: add nuance to it. Make it work. Just make it work between the two of them. So, there's, where,
2: a, there's a book that's often carries that
0: name. <laughs> I, I heard of it. Uh, where to send kids to school? He wants some place, she wants the other place.
2: So sometimes one has to ask, well, what, what were the expectations when you got married? Have things have shifted since you got married? If things have shifted since they got married, then that I think is an important... Uh, player in the conversation. Rabbi writes said in, uh, in certain halachic issues that the uh, expectations that were created, we have that in Halach as well, expectations of how one will, it will, will earn one's income and how it impacts on uh, intimacy and family. So that, I think, has been an important starting point. On the other hand, if there's been an aliyah ruchnias since they got married and uh, one spouse wants uh, more in ruchnias, so then it's very hard for the robe to say, well, let's walk this back to the expectations. We have to try to make it uh, try to make it, it, it sit well with both spouses and uh, if the if the dream is to have children who are bigger who are uh, greater in their and uh, their appreciation of sneers uh, and so then uh, one has to try to Discuss with the spouses. were are hesitant. How this is a good thing, and this will give you a source of great bracha.
0: Sounds like this is not an easy one because you have competitive imperatives here. If you're looking at when the marriage was, it may, they may have been on the same page, but if one of them have an aliyah thereafterward, you're pointing in a different direction. So I would think that this requires a real
2: pshara. It could be, but uh, it could be, and sometimes that—that's the way to work it out. In other words, that uh, to go to see what the what one can um, add on so to speak what can one where can we try to get everything we want and it could be that in one in one institution one more side we can get a certain amount and then we're able to round out um, in an extracurricular fashion, what the other parent wants.
0: Uh, the next one. Husband doesn't like how she covers her hair or she doesn't like how he's dressing. He's not, he's not Sanua. He's dressing. And uh, we had a show on wearing a bike shorts or something like that. So how do we get with, uh, get, get over those issues where where the uh, each is not happy with the other, how how they are dressing. And some of this halacha, some of it is a issues.
2: In this area, I think we also do have some clarity from halacha that uh ultimately the the, the halachas, let's say of Kisirosh and of Snias are the are, are one's wife's responsibility and the way the husband's dress is the husband's responsibility. So that that's the beginning point of the conversation. And uh, and I and, and I have to I have a greater responsibility to worry about my own what's mutal alive what's my responsibility. And I obviously want to encourage my spouse to be uh, more wuchni and to be more careful, but ultimately it's going to be, it's, it's their decision. And um, so that's, I think, the beginning point. And then the next stage is what, if couples feel that the way that the spouse is dressing has a negative impact on the inner workings of the family. So then we have to play that out. How, how is this going to impact on the children? What are the associations that they carried with it. And very often, they don't understand each other. Very often, uh, one spouse is able to say, the, what you think, the associations that you have, not accurate. And you think that it's a general, you read in ruchnius, not accurate. Um, sometimes we're able to suggest that there are ways of um, again, amel- ameliorating one spouse sees this as a you read in Ruchnius or associates us in a difficult way. Okay, so then let's do other things that will uh,
0: compensate. Compensate. Yeah. 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 Okay, and, and and I think,
2: but to, I think that it's uh, to walk it away from a source of contention and a source of disruption. Ultimately, a spouse can, if if everything else is good, right, and and the shmiras and mistress is good, and the uh, in general, and uh, we all have our flaws, we all have our weakness, and there are great strengths that each couple brings to the ruchnes of the family. So then, to move it away from a point of contention to a point of that there is a to a point of this is. A good thing for my Shalom Bayis, and that is a value, and that's going to be a source of strength. But Pincus has, in the opening of his uh, volume in Shalom Bayis, he describes, and I find this very, very valuable for B'nai Torah, that uh, that that the ultimate goal the Chazal have is to create a, a home where a comfortable come from the home, a, a, a form of a Mikdash Mat in one's own home. shruya <laughs> So one should be able to see that. That also is a maizah mitzvah. He says very often in halacha you have the global idea and the mice is a global idea to become a talmud chacham, to become a person who is uh, melumed. And but then there's the Mice, the mitzvah prati is putting the time today to learn today. There's the of the global issue of avas, and then there is, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's mm-hmm. the global issue of having, but that means in detail that today I have to move out there. Today I'm going to do something which is, uh, doesn't take care, it's nothing for me, but it's for my wife. Mm-hmm. So that's a of mitzvah. So to see that individual moment as a i mitzvah, which I'm so, so that I am being bevat there on um, the way I think that the ideal way, and something is the ideal way, but if that's going to be increase the presence of Shechin in our home. So then that's the right thing to do. That, that's a and mitzvah right now.
0: Again, without resentment, as mentioned before.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Very good. La- last question. And this is a very common one. I, I actually... uh once was speaking with a financial advisor and I asked him, uh, what's the source for disagreements in the family? And he said, number one, financial issues, financial disagreements. Could that's be that. New, financial
2: advisor. Financial right?
0: advisor. So <laughs> that's what everyone's coming to him for. They're not coming to ask him about minhagim. But but in any case, it could be uh, she wants to buy a shetel, but he wants to go on vacation and there's only enough money for, for one of them. Or it could be, and I saw the Shaila Astor of Zilberstein um, he wants to buy her clothing, and he she says, "I want to buy him clothing." He's a bentari; he needs a new hat, and etc. And and they're each saying, "I want to buy for the other one." So it can come in different formulations. And how do we deal with these when there are disagreements over money? And and these it could be significant; it could be small things, or it could be very significant items of buying a house because we need an extra bedroom or something like that.
2: I think that the the couple can be. You can come to an understanding that this is a source of great strength, that they hear each other, they listen to each other patiently, that they're willing to consider each other That uh, and, and and appreciate that they're both bringing very important points to the discussion. So that becomes a, a form of building that if certainly if if each one wants to be vater on their own needs for their spouse, it's a, a great source of strength that they have to appreciate. Ultimately, the uh, the husband does have greater achrayas for the financial stability of the family um, at, but at the same time, the husband is told So if it's, uh, if the one spouse sees the other spouse as being reckless so then that has to uh, 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 then we can ask the financial advisor is this really reckless? Is this really a pshia? So then we have to try to convince the the person who is doing something that's uh, not in the best interest of the stability of their family to walk it back, On the other hand, if it's the case of uh, that one wants a vacation and one wants to have uh, shaytul, so then I think it is husband. It has to be evaluated. It could be that the it'll be better for both to have a vacation, have some stress-free time. But if that's not uh, what comes through, so then certainly and we have to work with the husband together to. Get a, to and be able to find the ability to have some stress-free time in a different way.
0: Well, Rabbi Newberger, thank you so much for those insights. I uh, want to thank you very much for joining us uh, on Headlines, and I look forward to next time. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to spend time with you. And uh, what you're doing for Claudius Yisrael, certainly in Headlines, but in your writing, and then you're making Claudius Yisrael sensitive to issues in the workplace and how to understand that these are real real issues, both halafically and uh, in terms of the health of the family. So, Baruch Hashem, it's a great schuss uh, that you have, and uh, you help your Mazaka, many, many people, and build a stronger Claudius Yisrael, so we're very appreciative.
0: Thank you, Rabbi Neuberger. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Mrs. Chani Juravel. Mrs. Juravel has been involved in education and counseling in different capacities for over three decades. She is a popular lecturer worldwide and a therapist in private practice treating individuals and couples. Her teachings are available in her book, Sphira, In Our Lives, and through her WhatsApp group. My wife happens to be a member of that. Classes on Torah Anytime and H.com as well as her columns in Bina Magazine. Mrs. Juravel, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. So, Mrs. Dravel, I'm going to start out asking you a question that could take an hour, but we don't have that much time. And <laughs> okay. is what is the definition of a good marriage and how do you get there? Okay, I think
3: it, it could take a lifetime, honestly. <laughs> um, you know, I, I heard years ago in the name of Dr. Pelkowitz that there are four qualities that um, really clinch a good relationship. For some people, they're inborn. For some people, they have to be learned. But I think they're really at the cornerstone of of a good marriage. Um, People that are optimistic, that are appreciative of each other and highlight the good that they appreciate, that are able to depersonalize, not easy, not to take everything personally and to be able to get unstuck. That even when they have an issue, they could sort of put it on hold and still play a board game or, you know, still just move on in some way. But a marriage that that's fluid with with those four qualities, I think, is a marriage that's promising. Um, in terms of getting there, I think that just respecting each other's differences, not thinking that it means becoming the same person or thinking the same way, um, being sensitive to each other's needs and even if we can't meet them, but just to build a language that we show that we're aware and sensitive of them and, and knowing that it really takes work. It really takes work. And it's an I believe, it's a positive job, but it, it's a job.
0: So be, being accepting of differences and being respectful of those differences.
3: Now, I, I think, I, I don't know if I could make a you know, an an ironclad rule. But in terms of um, in, you know, people I know, and and the couples that I work with, I think that there are two different types of people that come into marriage, you know, and whether it's nature or nurture or combination, but some people come in craving this unconditional acceptance, just wanting to feel like everything they do is great and, you know, and, and they, the, their, their spouse gets a kick out of them no matter how they mess up and just wanting that acceptance more than anything else. Usually they marry someone who craves unconditional stability. Who wants things predictable and structured and no surprises. And you know, we, we need to sort of respect those those boundaries. And, and it's a train wreck every single time. And I think that's Hashem's sense of humor and giving us a chance to, to grow and flex new muscles. Because by definition, what I want most accepted is what may cause you your lack of stability. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. It so, does. It,
3: it so isn't... here I, I think, I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. So I think that the goal of marriage is in emulating Hashem, realizing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not assure us unconditional acceptance. There are things he considers unacceptable. He does not assure us 100% stability, right? Our heart rate <laughs> is up and down. So all he does guarantee us forever is unconditional love. And, and when a couple has unconditional love, they could realize with empathy that to the extent that I want what I want, you need what you need. So when one can't give the other that, that that full, all encompassing, unconditional, whatever, at least they could be sensitive to it. Okay, like, you know, honey, I I really I know what a hard day you had. And it's just that if you can't make supper, you know, by whatever time, can you just let me know, and I'll pick it up for us, but it really throws me not having that schedule kept. And you know, that that's just, that's just important to me, or, you know, I, I know, I didn't come through for you with that. And, you know, but I would really love for you to acknowledge that that I did try or I did it in the past. So in any way or in terms of any differences, just to have that sensitivity of, of respect, of empathy for what the other is, even if I can't relate to it, and and to build that into our, our unconditional love.
0: Interesting. So you you said a phrase every single time. You you've been doing this a long time and and, and you've seen I guess, um, routines, you've seen common issues come up um, as people come and consult with you. So what would you say are common mistakes? I've seen that over and over again, that spouses can make ones that can easily be avoided. You know, the the guys, ABC, this is what you need to do, low hanging fruit. and
3: (laughs) Okay, so, you know, not not to, not to simplify, you know, everybody's lives are, you know, are, are unique and, and I don't want to put everybody into the same box, but I think the general rules that, that I say could, could apply to all of us. Number one, if there was one word that, that I, I think should be just emblazoned in, in everybody's mind as, as a married person or a human being in general is curiosity. Curiosity, no matter how long you're married, however many decades you've been together, never to assume that the same experience or even the same word will have the same meaning to the person you're married to. You know, I I had a couple that came to me, married years, and they said I was their seventh therapist. I thought maybe I have like this Kabbalistic chance of success, you know. And, And the husband said, I really think we're good to go. And the wife said, no, we are working this out. He still doesn't trust me. And he said, honey, I trust you. You chose our neighborhood. You know, you you chose my outfit. You picked the kids' schools. Like, I'm not sure how I could prove that I trust you. And she's shaking her head. And I said, you know, I I know I might be sounding ridiculous, but could you each define the word trust for me? And um, the husband defines it pretty much like, you know, I'd imagine the dictionary would and the wife's still shaking her head. And she said, he doesn't get it. Trust means agree. (laughs) And he said, All these years, that's what you've meant when you've been dragging me to therapist. He says, I don't always agree, but maybe it's even a bigger compliment that that I trust anyway. And and it just and it was wild that for all of those years they were spinning wheels, not recognizing the definition, you know, and 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 whatever it is when, when it comes to you know, child rearing, when it comes to goals, when it comes to visions, even just having a vision, you know, a couple that was married almost 20 years, when I, you know, when they were talking about being disappointed with something going on in their family, I said, well, you know, how does this go counter to the vision that you each had of, of what would be, you know, what do you have to mourn here? And, and they were so puzzled, because the idea of a vision or a mission statement was, was so foreign, right? Just not having that that communication of curiosity, of knowing who we are, of understanding what the same experience I mean to each other. This was was really so bittersweet. Um, This must have been about 20 years ago. This really incredibly beautiful couple was dealing with with a child with um, a chronic illness. And when I asked them what what was the hardest thing for each of them? The husband said, you know, I, I have a hard time that it's public knowledge and I go to Shul and, and people are asking me and, and, and the wife looks at him and she says, I can't believe it. I never knew that was the hardest thing for you. She said, the hardest thing for me is that not enough people ask me about it and that I feel that people sort of stay away from the topic. So here they had this moment where, where they really just had to laugh that how we could be living the same ordeal and not realizing, you know, that the same thing means such different things to both of us. And so that was a sweet moment of, of mutual understanding. But sometimes it, it's not that sweet. Just the curiosity. And I, I, I always tell couples, you can't do better than God. His first interaction was, Ayeka, where are you? where are you? Just tell me where you are. Because as much as I understand you inside out, I want to know from you, you know, that I think it's the Malden that says, madregahi, you know, we, what, what is this for you? So I could address it in a way that's not just about my agenda.
0: Right. So, so, so that's
3: per- number one, I, I think also,
0: yeah, just on, on that, just so oh. sure I understand on curiosity, you're basically saying, don't make assumptions and in, make inquiries of each other.
3: Exactly. And just because you're going through the same thing, or you're arguing out the same point, don't assume that that it means the same thing to each of you, you you sort of want to have a conversation about the conversation, you know, what what's going on here for you? Or what what does that look mean? Or what's that tone about? You know, we we make so many judgments and leaps that could really be inaccurate. Um, regardless of of how long we're married and how much we think we could be intuitive. You never lose out by curiosity. You know, just, I I had a couple that, one came from a family where where they loved interrupting. Interrupting showed love and I understand you and I'm finishing your sentence. And the other spouse came from a family where interruptions were punishable by death. I mean, you're interrupted, you stop talking for two weeks, (laughs) you're done. So here, you know, the first never really understood what interrupting felt like for him, you know, for you, it means love, but for him, it means, you know, just rejection or or dismissal. So just coming together and and being curious before taking it personally, you know, and, and not staying stuck on what it feels like because you're assuming. So I, I think another, another issue is that, a lot of times, you know, we, we've built these self-critics that think they're getting us somewhere that really aren't. And we assume that if we withhold and we're hard on the other person, they'll come around. And, and that usually doesn't work either. You know, I, I think just recognizing that it's really creating the sense of, of fresh starts and forgiveness and seeing the good and believing in that, that, that is going to get us more of, of what we want right? Just like, you know, when we know Hashem loves us, we're motivated to do and be more. If we always think that we have to just get through that next hoop, chances are we'll, we'll sink a couple of levels, right? So um, just having that that freshness. I Years ago, I heard from Rebetzin Yom Shalom. She said the Simcha spells out Shemacha to erase, that the greatest joy is when someone gives you erasure, right? When they forgive and, and they allow you to just try again and prove yourself. So, right, our greatest time of year, the Simcha of Sukkis, it's because it comes after Yom Kippur. We got a race.
0: So- Getting a fresh start. It's like uh, going through yeah. bankruptcy and starting over.
3: Maybe not. <laughs> 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 so, so, and that's uh, another topic <laughs>
0: yes, yes uh, speaking like an attorney uh, so so um when it comes to boys and girls you know we have a lot yeah. of uh people in shiduchim we do a number of shidduch shows and even earlier than that what would you be your advice to those who are in shiduchim or thinking about shiduchim how to prepare for a more successful dating process and a more successful marriage
3: Okay, first of all, just hearing that people are thinking is refreshing. Thinking about Shidduchim, that's a refreshing concept. Beautiful. Um, Number one, to work on those four traits, you know, if it helps me in a relationship to be optimistic and appreciative and not to take things personally or stay stuck, try to flex those muscles. You know you're looking for someone with those traits, but nothing beats becoming that person, right? The key to a good relationship when couples come to me and they say, "You know, how do we know if we'll do well?" You know, I'll say like, I don't have it's it's not rocket science. I, I don't I'm not gonna do anything that different than other couples, but I will, hold you to accountability, that the more you could take your piece and focus on what you're bringing in and what you could tweak, you know you're going to do a better job, right? So for a, a, a girl or boy to know that I have to flex those muscles to be that that person in the marriage and take that responsibility is, is a phenomenal start. Look for people in Shadduchim who are resilient. You know, I, I could say this now because my kids, Baruch Hashem, are all married. You know, I, I, I'm so so blessed with my in-laws and and all of them are different people. There was one thing in addition to what my children, you know, said that I had to advocate for them and and look for that I really found important. Look for the worst thing that they went through and how they handled it. Look for people who've proven that they really handle life with grace and with resilience and, and with dignity. Because life does have a lot of snags and, and someone who can't handle a bad hair day or is always entitled and, and blaming or, or never making it through things in a way that, that they grow is probably not going to be good material for marriage. So just look for someone who's proven that he, he or she has had long term relationships has gone through things and handled them well, that has the ability to deal with discomforts, you know, and and doesn't always need things on, on a silver platter that has that ability to be honest and accountable and, and vulnerable and create space for times that are good and bad in a selfless way. But that's the real stuff. You know, I, I, I think and a sense of humor. My my husband's always said we live near a cemetery. He says, how come none of the tombstones say he had a sense of humor, right? It makes a difference. So I, I used to tell my kids, look for someone who te- takes life seriously without taking themselves so seriously.
0: Very nice. That's very good. Right, but- let,
3: let, that, let that person be your comfortable chair that, that you could just sink into, you know, that it's just there to, you know, yeah, to be. But-
0: so 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 the meat of of resilience basically uh sheva yipol Vakam, somebody who can take a beating and, and get up and move on and 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 brush the dust off so somebody and, who and be- i once heard
3: and i once heard that that through those yipols
0: he becomes atsadik became- That's what makes you the tzaddik, is the the turbulence, is the difficulties. So that's what we're looking for in advance of marriage, is somebody who has resilience and is able to get through tough times.
3: And to be that person, you know, as much as what we're looking for you know, to look inside. You know, I, I was speaking to a young woman that I was working with. Her mother said, "You know, talk to her about chiduchim, and you know, we want to get her, get her ready." And and the girl said, "I still have some things that I really want to work on because I know that if I do, you know, I'll I'll deserve that much more in terms of what that I could expect." And and I, I said to that mother, "Cherish that. You know, that your daughter want has the concept of of working toward it. Phenomenal, right? Just." to focus on who do I want to be to be that person that, you know, that could could be in a proud marriage.
0: Right, right. So, so that that's an advance of marriage. Let, let's talk about when people are in marriage, and they hit turbulence. And, and maybe there's a difference. How, how do you handle it if it's early on in the marriage, as opposed to later on in the marriage? So what would be your advice? Is it therapy? Is it... Uh, can we read a book and try to figure out our lives or, or uh, how do we what, how there's do we no, do
3: There's no one recipe. You know, I, it's always good to have good people in your life, a rough, a mentor, you know, if, if you need a therapist, even if it's just, I have one couple that came in after doing really great work and they said, we're here for a well visit. You know, <laughs> just it's just, it's nice to have people in your life that are supportive, whatever works for, for the individual. It, it's. But more than that, I think that instead of getting stuck even if you're trying to work it out with each other to try to look for themes you know to try to look for themes that not just to get stuck on you know this conversation or, or this example or this frustration but like what's our theme here you know let let's go from the first floor to the basement to see what's underneath you know what are the things that that keep triggering each of us what are maybe what are the historic pieces? I had a supervisor years ago, just such a favorite person of mine, she used to say that what makes us hysterical is usually historical, that, you know, if you would just tap me on the shoulder, I would just say what, but if I had a sunburn, I'll jump. So is there maybe some theme that's, that's personal to me that's reminding me of something older that I need to, to bring to the table and, and look at or share with you? But I think we waste a lot of time on, on just the stories without recognizing that it's really the feelings and meanings under them. That could really, you know, get us to a better place if we really work there. So do I have a problem with the feeling of abandonment or neglect or, you know, do I sense some betrayal or or anger, whatever it is, But, but go to the themes and talk about that more than the issue at hand. I was in the supermarket, I was in a rush and the aisle that, that only allowed five items was free. And my my cart was pretty full, but I pulled up and I said to the woman, if you think about it, I really have fruits and vegetables. So can you consider it two items? <laughs> she says, you know, just for that, I got such a kick out of that, I'll let you through. But the more you come up with a theme, it saves you going through all those all those pieces, right? So to get in touch with that, maybe as individuals and before the conversations, that that's one piece. And the second piece is there's a phenomenal model of therapy called solution-focused work that I think really is, is so strength-based. Think of when you did have a good time. Think of an interaction that did work, that you both really did feel heard and, and helped and joined. And what And that was yours too. What made that successful? So we can't always just focus on, on, on the stuff that brings us down. We have to remember there were things that brought us together. My, my father, Lava Shalom, was, was just my best mentor and, and best friend in every way. So wise. The day that I got engaged after, you know, ups and downs in dating that, that he had to weather, Nebuch, he came into my room, he woke me up, he said, how are you feeling? I said, dad, I'm feeling Baruch Hashem, blessed, happy, relieved, good. And he said, honey, I want to tell you, you won't always feel this way. And I said, dad, why are you busting my balloon? Like, come on, I went, it took so long. And he said, no, he said, because I love you. He said, I want you to know it may be today. It may be tomorrow, maybe 20 years from now at someone else's barbecue. You will not have this clarity about the person you chose to marry. And that's normal. He said, the way Hashem created the world is that he gives, he withdraws, and then you have to initiate it to make it yours, right? Think about it. He teaches the Torah to that little baby in utero, taps, the child has to relearn, created the light, hid it, became the R that we're trying to to get back, gave us the Torah, we blew it, we had to yearn for the second set. So the same thing here. He gave you this clarity but he will now withdraw. And you have to remember that you once had it in the times that it's not so easy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was just so wise, right? That, that remember that there was that clarity and there were times that we were a good team. Let's really dig into those as much as the bad times and realize that there were things without realizing it that made that work, right?
0: Focus on so- the win. focusing on the wins.
3: Focus on both, but make sure that it's both because the win was just as much yours as, as the letdown. Like right? Don't forget, and, and, don't forget and, the wins. Right. And dissect what went into it that might've been subconscious, but it was still good stuff. And it was still you.
0: Right. Very good. Um, for, for people who want to read on Shalom Bayis, what recommendations do you have? People who are not having turbulence, but uh, just want to improve, uh, what do you have to obviously join your WhatsApp and uh, officially and I would love
3: if they, yeah, I mean my, my book is based on the days of Sfira. It's really for all year. And I, I'm I'm so gratified that you know that people are using it for relationships, just based on on what Hashem tells us are are the good parts of relationship building. It has a lot of examples, every day has an exercise. So I'd love if people can make use of that. Just in terms of, you know, the secular world, it's the five love languages is a wonderful basic to appreciate the differences of, you know, the styles that people like to give and get. And that really helps to just sort of get more bang for our buck in understanding what the other person might need most that we could focus on and vice versa. And to see love in languages that we might not have realized it was there. The old book, Harville Hendricks book, Getting the Love You Want, is a wonderful, wonderful book. A lot of good exercises. The truth is it's about giving love. But I think if he called it giving the love, nobody would buy it. So getting <laughs> made it a bestseller. In terms of the, the you know, our, the, the the richer world of, of ours, the Ohel Rachel is a phenomenal safer for women about the mitzvot of women. And there's so much wisdom in there about marriage and midos. Um. Everything by the Nesivo Shalom is full, it's just chock full of, of understanding, giving and loving and emulating Hashem. And I, I think the Tomar Devora, learning the qualities of forgiveness selfishly, even if the other person doesn't deserve or know about it, but who we could become by giving other people fresh starts. I think that's a fabulous marriage tool and, uh, and a lot of prayer, a lot of davening. Just asking Hashem to to help us see the person we're married to through his eyes. Big, big tool.
0: Very good. Well, Mrs. Jorovell, I want to thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, obviously a lot to ponder and think about and incorporate into our lives. And uh, we really appreciate all the wisdom you've given us today.
3: It's amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Kala kavod. Thank you for having me.
0: Joining us now is Dr. David Lieberman. Dr. Lieberman is a leader in the fields of human behavior and interpersonal relationships. He has written 11 books, including two New York Times bestsellers, which have been translated into 27 languages and have sold more than 3 million copies worldwide. Dr. Lieberman, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ravari, great to speak with you.
0: So Dr. Lieberman, I have read recently in preparation for headline shows, Three books on Shalom Bayes. One was on one side, one extreme that the husband should always give in whenever there are issues that comes up with the spouse. The other one was on the other extreme that the wife should give in a little bit more complicated than that, but the wife should be the one who gives in regularly and one in the middle, which focuses more on the relationship and going through a process to resolve issues. If I were to say, Dr. Lieberman, where do you fall out on that spectrum? Just to start out our topic, because we're talking about what makes a successful marriage, what would you say? Uh,
1: Fine question. So I would say, look, you know, the person who should give in is probably the one who's wrong, but uh, clearly that's not going to happen. But what you can do really is to be smart about the approach. And it's not so much about whether a person gives in or not. Really what the research tells us, and this is all through the lens of khazal is that what people really want is to be understood. They want to be heard. They want to be validated. As a matter of fact, I want to share with you a fascinating question that I've asked. I speak for an organization called From Divorce. Beautiful organization, self-described what it is. And it was over Chavez Shabbos, and I asked about maybe four or 500 divorced people. If your spouse would have done the following thing, but you still had all the problems that you had. You know, he was still doing this, she was still doing that. No problems changed, but your spouse simply did this one thing. And I'll tell you what that one thing is, but if your spouse does this one thing, how many of you would still be married today? I speak there about twice a year and predictably three quarters of the hands shoot right up. And what is that one thing? That one thing is this. When you were married, if you went to your spouse with something that was bothering you, something that was on your mind, rather than him or her simply dismissing it or minimizing it or blaming you, they genuinely empathized with how you felt, validated what you wanted and get this, still didn't do what you wanted. See, it's not about getting our way. We presume often in a conflict or a mediation, negotiation, arbitration, whatever it is, that it has to be, uh, you know, I win at your expense what people want, particularly in personal relationships, is simply to be heard, to be understood. Once we feel empathized with and validated, the person understands where we're coming from, then we can have a meaningful discussion. And if we still don't get our way, it doesn't sting. We may not be happy because we want what we want, but ultimately what we really want is to feel understood and not dismissed. So it's not so much about whether a person gives in, it's how you engage in the conversation of the disagreement begin
0: with. It's the process and being heard. That's what's critical. So based on that, if you have a spouse who uh, you have issues with and you want to criticize or give uh, input and, and uh, give them feedback on something that's concerning you, but that spouse doesn't take criticism well. They're not going to validate what you have to say. How do you deal with that situation?
1: Good. Excellent. So you know, if you have the kind of spouse where you could say, honey, stop doing that. You're making me crazy. And they go, okay, sure, no problem. Then, you know, you can pretty much turn this off and go and go on do something else. But if you have a kind of spouse, which by the way, we can all be from time to time, be a little bit sensitive where your spouse is going to withdraw at the slightest criticism. Maybe they'll become a little bit... assertive and get defensive. So if you have the kind of spouse or you're speaking about something that hits that raw nerve, and again, that's most of us pretty much from time to time, is that it's not so much uh, the person you're speaking to, uh, but it's the issue that you're bringing up that sort of hits that raw uh, emotional nerve. When you're in a situation like that, uh, one of the best things to do with these types of things is not to criticize, meaning the mistake that we make is that when our spouse does what we don't want them to do, that's when we go ahead and give them the most of schmooze and beat them up and say, how could you be doing that? You know, it bothers me, blah, blah, blah. Rather, the key here is to when they get it right. See, the thing people make a big mistake about in terms of motivation is we think that if you beat somebody up enough and show them the clarity and logic of your argument that they're going to come around to doing what you want nobody moves forward on a long-term basis certainly not the simcha by being guilty into doing something so rather when the person gets it right that's when you take the opportunity to let them know that you really appreciate that they put the time energy effort whatever it is into doing it let me share with you if i may from a, another Shabbaton I was speaking, and this happened to be on Shalom Bias. And it's giving over this idea about, you know, when you want your spouse to do something, and pretty much to your question here, and about being positive and about when they get it right, that's when not in a sarcastic way, like, oh, look who finally did it, but rather sincere and genuine authentic way to go ahead and let them know you really appreciate it. That's what galvanizes their, their resolve. So after the, the talk, somebody came over to me and said, I want to tell you a fascinating story. I've been married at this time. I guess now is for for you know twenty some odd years. For the first uh, whatever it was, fifteen years of marriage, I'd always ask my wife to make the beds. She never would. And Now what went into that? Childhood issues? Why he asked? How he asked? What the big issue was? Why couldn't he make them? Who knows? Doesn't make a difference. But Lamaysa is. He said I'd always asked her to make the beds. Is always a point of contention. She never would make them. Finally, whatever it was, whatever was going on, she made the beds. He said, I want you to know I sat her down and not in a sarcastic way, not in a mean way, not in a it's about time way, but rather he said, I just expressed to her how much I appreciate for doing it. And I know I've been giving her a hard time about it and it's not fair. She's a great wife. Whatever she does is terrific. And this is just, it's, it's a its a drop in the bucket. It was something that was important to him, but he recognized she was being unfair by in, in, insisting that it be done. And he just wants to acknowledge that he appreciates that she just did it this one time. And he, he genuinely and honestly thanked her for it. He said, I want you to know in the past 10 years now, since after that, Again, for the first 15 years. Now I've been married 25 years. She said, he said, she has never not once made the bed. All it took was for her to be motivated by. Her husband being positive by being basimcha, by being appreciative, we all move forward. Now again, it's not always going to be that simple, but if you think about it in terms of ourselves, you know, if if you're walking out the shul and your wife always says, you know, take out the garbage, take out the garbage. Now you could say, I need mean, my hands clean. I have to wash nagavazor again, or I'm going to daven and a rush and so on, you know. And and you know, husbands and wives can get into that little back and forth, and her, the, the wife can always continue to say, take out the garbage, what's the big deal? It takes two seconds this and that. But if she's smart. The next time he does take out the garbage, she would say, I so appreciate it. I know you were running to shul. I know you didn't want to have to wash your hands again. I know it's not so convenient. I put that in the garbage. You're going out. I just want to know, I so appreciate that. The next time he walks out the shul, dollars to donuts, he's going to be more motivated to take that garbage.
0: No, very good. I, you know, the eight say is just wear gloves. Wash your hands, wear gloves, throw out the garbage. <laughs> That's what I do every single time. So Dr. Lieberman, what I'm hearing is, I think two important points. Number one is listen and validate, even if you're not going to agree. And number two is positive reinforcement. And and this opens up to me a a global question. These don't seem to be too difficult. So what are some significant issues that come up in marriage that are actually easily to resolve, kind of like what you seem to be saying right now?
1: Right. That's, that's a good point. So really, the foundation of a relationship is communication. And the foundation of communication is really empathy and validation. Is listening to the other person genuinely, authentically, honestly. You know, very often we listen to respond. We're, we're sort of, you know, uh, gearing up our rebuttal. Uh, of what the person's saying. But if you genuinely listen to learn, to understand rather than to respond, you have an entirely different conversation. As we said before, people just want to be heard. And if you're able to genuinely and honestly listen to what your spouse is saying rather than just listen to respond and try to understand where they're coming from and be vulnerable and open with your spouse when you're expressing yourself and when he or she is expressing themselves to you and genuinely try to understand you'll have an entirely different relationship.
0: So that you mentioned was about 75% when you asked that question to four to 500 people, 75% of those who had already been divorced. I mean, these this yes. is, these are the people that had the most difficult times. That that leaves another twenty five percent of people that that would not have worked for. And and it it raises the thought in my mind that what what are some of the more significant issues that you see that prevent people from having a successful marriage? Like for example, when people come to you and say, "Dr. Lieberman, this is the issues," or "These are the issues that we are having," and you see from the get go, this is an issue that I've seen. Time in, time out, and this is really going to be an uphill battle. So one of those more significant issues that that come by your desk, or come by your couch, actually.
1: Right, right. Uh, We've got both here. Uh, So really, it is unresolved trauma. And, you know, those are the most difficult because the relationship is as healthy as the two people who are involved in it. Of course, with Akash Baruch Hu. But, you know, if one person comes in with trauma, that has not been effectively dealt with, even though that spouse may cognitively understand what they're doing is wrong and destructive, and the other spouse may have all the empathy in the world, it nonetheless is going to wear on their marriage and communication is only gonna get them so far. Yes, they'll be able to be open and honest and discuss it. And quite frankly, they could have, and I've seen it, not only a successful marriage, but a happy marriage and productive marriage, and they navigate around this issue. but. Uh, If you don't have all the other pieces in place uh, and you've got significant trauma from one spouse uh, and certainly from both, then you're going to have more of a
0: more of a a battle. Uphill battle. Okay. an interesting thing that that's coming to my mind now as we talk about a successful marriage is 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 having a happy marriage. Is that the same as having a successful marriage? In, In other words, what should be the goal is the goal? to not fight, to resolve disagreements, that's more managing on the downside as opposed to focusing on happiness, which is the upside. So do we need happiness and success, successful marriage, happy marriage, successful marriage, or those different concepts?
1: Sure. Look, you know, you you could probably ask a dozen different people and get different answers. You know, just intuitively, I would would like to think that a successful marriage, you know, it's not a business partnership. If you want to avoid conflict, you know, you could just uh, avoid conversation, but that's not a happy marriage. Uh, it, it's not a, a successful and happy marriage isn't one that's frictionless. To the contrary, it's one that has opposing views, differing views, you know, individual perspectives. That's what lends dimensions and beauty and variety to marriage. The key always is how do you resolve them in a productive and healthy way? You know, I tell couples this all the time that come to me uh, before they get married. And, you know, it's not so much about how often they disagree. It's about how they navigate that disagreement when it comes up because you can have a disagreement once every six months but if you're not able to successfully navigate it where you know the other each person may feel invalidated or belittled or blamed the marriage is is on a difficult trajectory but you could also have a little disagreements about how you see the world or what you want to do dozens of times throughout the day but if each person is able to empathize with the other validate where they're coming from try and see through their perspective then the marriage becomes enriched as a process of it. So it's not about seeing the world differently. It's not about having disagreements. It's about being able to resolve them in a responsible way.
0: I remember. I think I remember a that I heard. I think from Rabbi Friend, and he was talking about when when Yaakov Avinu sent Yosef to go check on his brothers. They were out with with the tzon, and he says, uh, I don't remember the exact passage, It says you should check on on the uh, on the peace between the tzon. You know what's going on the the uh, with the flock and the herd. And he says, what does that mean? What's the message to Yaakov of Yaakov to Yosef? And he says the message was that there are two types of civility and peace. There's the peace that flocks that sheep have between each other and And their civility is not that they have harmony and they get along and they're having something positive, but they're not fighting. And the message from Yaakov Avinu was that uh, that may be the the relationship that you have with with brothers. You're trying not to fight, but we're supposed to have something much more than that. The upside of having a positive relationship, not just not fighting, but having a bond as brothers should. So I I think that's probably what you're saying.
1: That's beautiful. That's very beautiful. For sure. For sure. Look, you know, there are plenty of people I don't argue with. I just don't know them. <laughs> but the ones in my Dalai Amas, the ones I interact with, you know, when you have to, by the way, and we all have to deal with difficult people. You duck and dodge and navigate those relationships as responsibly as you can. And sometimes it behooves us to stay out of uh, harm's way. At the same time, you know, that relationship is never going to grow. Uh, it's never going to become closer. It's never going to be the point where we increase connection by avoiding each other and by avoiding conversation.
0: Right. Right. So what happens when when a a couple comes to you or or more more likely in this situation, one spouse comes to you that wants to work on the relationship and the other one doesn't seem to care, doesn't want to put in the effort Are there ways to try to uh, progress with that relationship? Or if one doesn't have interest, are we uh, just going to have an insurmountable challenge there?
1: Right, it's a good question. What I've learned is that one side of a story is just is half a story. And so, you know, the spouse comes to you and says, you know, you know, my husband and my wife, she does this, he does this. And it's too easy for the therapist to sort of, you know, listen and believe what this person is saying. Now, we're not saying that this person is lying. We all have our own perspective. We have our own lens. But, you know, it's it, to go ahead and to give to, to give advice to somebody without getting a full picture. Um, and sometimes you, 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 you can't, you don't have the full picture, but without trying to garner more information can be reckless because you know, you, you're, you're telling this person maybe what they should or shouldn't be doing based on this person's perspective, which may or may not resemble reality. Uh, so you know, if you're just getting one side of the story, what I like to do first is you know, try to speak to as many people, obviously with their permission as I can, sometimes the, the other spouse, Sometimes, you know, anyone that may know the situation and you'll see it just helps to round out your your information base. But let's assume that it's at face value where the person comes to you and says, my husband, my wife, they're just, I don't know, they're either apathetic or uh, there's no one home or they just do what they want and this and that. I encourage them really to just first optimize, forget about changing your spouse, forget about working on that. And you you can, by the way, people say you can't change other people. There are ways to do it, but you'd have to be smart about it. And you can't do it through force. You do it really ultimately from changing yourself and how you interact with somebody. And that then de facto will change their behavior towards you. But what I try to do is help them to focus on what they can control, you know, whether dealing with the pandemic or you're dealing with a spouse, the quickest way to make yourself crazy is to focus on all the things in your life that you have no control over. So I would say, you know, what is it that you you can do to improve the quality of the marriage? And I I granted that your spouse is, you know, only putting in 10%. What is it that you can do? What can you do to be more besimcha with your spouse? What can you do to enjoy a better quality relationship with your spouse? What can, you, what can you not do that you know your spouse doesn't want you to do? And so um, So if the person just begins to focus on what they can control, then we just see where we're at. And then we may find that, quite frankly, I'd say that half the time they have a different relationship anyway. But once you sort of maximize what they're able to do, that's when we begin to sort of go to the next level and say, okay, fine. Now let's see how we can responsibly gain cooperation, more interaction, more interest from your spouse and take the relationship to a better level.
0: Right. And on your point of if you hear just from one side, you're not hearing the full story. And uh, oftentimes when you hear from the second one, it's diametrically opposed to the first one. I've experienced that many times um, when people have come to me with financial mediation issues and you hear from the first one and it's horrific. The other person, it sounds like a Right. And then the second one comes and you hear the diametrically opposed uh, view and you think the first one. So absolutely, you have to hear everything as much as possible before even knowing how to proceed with with the situation. Tell me, Dr. Lieberman, what was the most gratifying situation you were consulted on when it came to a shalom bias issue?
1: Oh, that's easy. You know, it's the ones where I could save people the time on an energy of being in therapy, you know, much like if you go to, uh, uh, a medical doctor or to a surgeon, you know, it's the best operations, the ones that they don't need to do. So the most gratifying are the ones when couples come to me or somebody comes to me and they think it's going to be some long schleppy process. And we're able to just cut through it all. And it really, at the, so the foundation wasn't really an issue. It was maybe a misunderstanding. And this comes up, unfortunately, sometimes if they've dealt with, you know, they have their own therapist and the therapist says this, this one says that. And if you're just able to engage in meaningful dialogue, the most gratifying, question frankly, the case is not just the stolen bias, but when anyone comes to me, they think that they have something big, you know, and, you know, metaphorically speaking, the mole turns out to be nothing. Those are the most gratifying where this person is just not just feels better, but they are better because they shifted their perspective. They see that what they thought was an issue is not an issue or it's something now that's bite sizable that they can just go forward with their life and not have to spend their time and therapy focusing on. Those are easily far and away the most gratifying.
0: Interesting. So what we've been talking about shalom Bayes, which which, uh, is two spouses, two spouses, you have have a husband and a wife. So obviously, when you add in the issue of children, things become dramatically more complicated. So what would you say you've seen as some of the challenges complications when you add in children to a marriage that is having shalom Bayes challenges?
1: Look, right. So Any stressor, and children as as amazing as they are, you know, can oftentimes be a stressor. Any stressor is going to, you know, weigh on that person's emotional, um, you know, uh, fabric. And, you know, our, our, our emotional resiliency really is keyed into ability to deal with the stress, to deal with the challenge and be able to navigate it successfully and not be knocked down by it. So what we find is it's not always so much what the stressor is. Certainly the bigger the issue, the bigger the challenge, the more resources you need, the more, um, strength you need, the more, you know, abilities you need. But, you know, there are people who seem to have everything under the sun and they get a paper cut and the world has to come to an end. They can't deal with anything. There are other people who deal with just, you know, trial and tribulation one after the other, and they move through their day with just a, this knowing invincibility and, and simcha. So I- again, it's the, the stressors certainly can and does weigh on everyone, but it's our ability to deal with the situation that ultimately determines the impact it's going to have on our relationship. In some cases, the relationship can become fortified. It can can become improved. It can be better. Other times, unfortunately, it's going to cause each spouse to sort of turn on one another because they just don't have the emotional strength to deal.
0: Uh-huh. Dr. Lieberman, if I could ask a Chinuch question, I, I know we're focused more on Shalom bias but when it comes to Chinuch, if parents have divergent views as it relates to their children, and maybe the most prominent could be how you discipline, and one spouse is more of a disciplinarian and one is less so, and they don't have a united front in that regard, is that by definition negative as they're interacting with their children and they display differences in, in how they approach discipline or any other other ways that they approach the children and if that is indeed problematic how do they get on the same page
1: right there's a lot to unpack there. It's a great question and as you know i have probably 200 talks on torah anytime and when i speak on chino this invariably comes up so first off is having a child who sees that their parents disagree about something is fine don't think that you everyone has to be lock stock and barrel once again modeling for your children how you disagree with your spouse, how you politely listen to your spouse, how you reference their good points. And when they uh, end up being right, acknowledging it rather than going to spin control, these things are terrific. End of the day, though, is if the parents fundamentally disagree on a chinach or on anything, um, they would do best to have that conversation behind closed doors. Because first off, it can pit one parent against the other in terms of the child sort of going to one parent and and creating... Unfortunately, so unbiased from, you know, the child's good intentions of trying to get their way. But more fundamentally, it undermines the child's ability to trust in the parents, meaning that the the child needs a sense of emotional security. That comes from that bedrock of uniformity, of knowing that mom and dad are there. They're on the same page. They agree. We're in this together. They are immovable, which is, you know, parents who in a different conversation. Maybe we talk about Chinook, about parents who become, you know, show that they're angry at a child, display that anger is, once again, a fundamentally erodes their ability to feel emotionally secure. But again, it's fine for parents to disagree and for the child to know that they hold differently. But it's also good for children to know that, say, you know what, this is important to daddy. And even though mommy sees a little bit differently, you know what, daddy asked the rub, and this is what we say, and so on. This is what we're going to do. That's terrific. That's great. You know, let your child know that you didn't, you know, you don't always see eye to eye, but end of the day is whatever position you do present, It particularly with something big, it should be unified, and it should be besimcha. It shouldn't be like, you know what? Your father always gets his way, so we're going to have to do this. Otherwise, it's going to be an argument that erodes their emotional, uh, their emotional security. Unbelievably so. Present a unified front. Let the child know that they are secure and that their parents are in, uh, are, are, are their parents are, are are unified in terms of their perspective and in their approach.
0: Uh, that's a very good. Well, Dr. Lieberman, I just want to thank you. Uh, I know we've covered the gamut of Shalom Bayes and Chinuch, and I know there is a lot more to cover. And if anyone is interested, uh, Dr. Lieberman's books, uh, let's get those, those sales up from 3 million to 4 million by everyone listening to, <laughs> to this uh, podcast and going out and buying the books and listening to the Shirim on Torah anytime. Dr. Lieberman, thank you so much for joining us.
1: It is my pleasure. Thank you.
0: Joining us now is Rabbi Pesach Krohn. Rabbi Krohn is the famous Magid and also the famous Mohel, the prolific author and the prolific speaker as well. And from what I see, he has a lovely relationship, partnership with his wife. Uh, Whenever I I, um, email with Rabbi Krohn to try to convince him to come on the show, which he's happy to do, I include not only Rabbi Krohn, but his wife as well, who helps arrange and gives him content as well. Let's call it what it is, Rabbi Krohn. So it is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: It's my pleasure and my honor to be here. And the thing that you just said about my wife, I feel, in a sense, is the essence of marriage. Ari, I just want to tell you, I once saw something that is so fabulous. Do you know what the word team, T-E-A-M, stands for?
0: No, I don't.
4: Listen to this. Together, everyone accomplishes more. That's a team. Isn't that great? Together, everyone accomplishes more. And that's in any type of team and especially in the team of marriage. And there's no question that, um, as we will talk about, when each one gives to the other and the spouse is able to accept ideas or criticism in a nice way from each other, that's really what the team is all about. And uh, in sports, it's the same thing. And in business, when a team is working together, it's even greater than the sum of its parts.
0: So the, the whole is greater than the parts.
4: Exactly. Right. Great. Right. Great. right.
0: But Rabbi Kron, I mean, I, I see from our email interactions and your wife's involvement because we, we, you know when we we spoke recently and I could give hear your wife in the background giving you eights, which I love. I loved it. So and, and we we she would have been happy to come on the show. I would have loved, loved to have both of you, but she has to work this morning on work. No, she's a principal at Shevach High School, and this morning she's giving finals. So so, but we would have had the Krones. But, but she said you'll be in good hands with just Rabbi Kron. So so, Rabbi Kron, what would you say? say is the most important ingredient to having a successful or or happy marriage?
4: Well, I think that um, there's a great expression that a dear friend of mine, Avram Peretz Friedman, wrote a wonderful book called Table for Two. It's a very thin little book, but boy, is it worth its weight in gold. And he made a statement in there. We discussed it. I discussed it with him. He said, the ideal in marriage is not finding the right partner, but being the right partner. And, you know, that is such an important lesson in life. You know, we always, many people blame the other person, you know, why things are not going well. But if you are the best partner, being the right partner, you are the right partner, then things work out. And, you know, I just want to share with you a fascinating Gemara, you know, what does it mean to be the right partner? So in the Gemara in tells us the story that Rabroika was once walking with Elio Anovi. Imagine this Rabreka was walking with elio Novi, and elio Novi sees two people coming to them. And if you take a look in the Gemara, he says, these people, B'nai al mahd These are people are going straight to el They are special people. And Rabreka didn't realize who these guys were. They're so special. So he waited. This, I love this sidebar. He waited until Elio Novi went. In other words, he didn't talk to the other guys when elio Novi was there. You were the, you know, the Novi. And, uh, or a great Talmud Chacham it's the same thing you have respect you deal with them and then when they leave then you'll talk to somebody else so when Eliyahu left he said the guys you know Maya what do you guys do? so listen to what they said and we will see something so brilliant they said we are happy people we make those that are depressed, we make them happy. And that's a great thing. As a matter of fact, you know, in the Hallelukas, I once heard that Chassid uh, Rebbe said, um, Hashem has the capacity to heal the brokenhearted. And he said, what are the first letters of those words? is hey, the capacity to heal the brokenhearted. That's the biggest praise you could say on somebody that they are Haroife Leshure Lev. They can walk into a room and put their arm around somebody and make that person feel good. And we know that today, in the last year and a half, of course, you know, with COVID and everything that surrounds it, there have been many, many brokenhearted people. And if you could be that Haroife Leshure that's fabulous. And that's what they did. They were, they made the people that was sad. They made them happy. But watch what the Ma'amleah says, which is absolutely brilliant. The is, if anybody wants to look it up, is in Dvarim Kovches, Pasuk Mem And he says like this, what did they answer? They, he asked them, what do you do? They had a caveat. They said, we are happy people. We make others happy. Why didn't they just say, we make others happy? What was that caveat that they said, we are happy people? And listen to what the Malayas writes. Bola Lamdeinu comes to teach us. Shim odam if you want to make somebody else happy, your spouse happy, your kids happy, your employees happy, your students happy, atz'ma you have to be happy. Shim if they would be depressed, negative people, Even if they want to make somebody else happy, they couldn't do that. So the idea is, if you want to have a happy spouse, and you're wondering, why is your spouse not happy? You know something? You might have to look in the mirror. And when you see yourself, you'll realize, you know something? It's, it's really you. And that's really one of the first lessons in marriage. You've got to be a happy, positive person. And when you're happy and positive, you can make others happy. But if you're always looking to criticize, you, know, you have to realize that maybe that that brings a negative aspect to the marriage
0: Right, so that's a very powerful Me'am Loez, very powerful if, if you want to be Mesameach, somebody else be Sameach yourself, be happy yourself In in that vein, it seems that we have a couple Potentially conflicting Chazals, I, I think almost on point Of that, it says If you really love your wife like yourself And you are Me'chabed her More than yourself, it seems that the onus Is on the husband, there's also a Gemoran Baba Messia, Nuntasa because of the wife, but on the other hand, that seems the onus again is on the husband. On the other hand, the Yalkut Shimoni, this is a famous one, and there are different explanations of what this means. But isha also the onus on her, on the wife, to do the desires of the. husband So, how would you reconcile that in order to achieve that simcha? I
4: think that's a great question. And I think the answer is two words, and we'll elaborate on these two words. When Hashem said that he wanted to make a partner for Adam Marishain, he said, Esseloi Azer Azer is a helpmate, but Kenegdai is somebody that opposes him. So the simple meaning is Azer Kenegdai, a helpmate alongside him. But also, I think part of marriage is understanding that. Everybody has to realize they are not the only partner in the marriage. And of course, what Hazal is saying is that the husband has to try to please his wife. But on the same token, the wife has to please the husband because they're in this together. As a matter of fact, I'll show you something so beautiful. You know, there's a fabulous book. It's one of my favorite books from Archville, besides the Magid books, of course. But there's a great <laughs> book. And it's called The Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet. And Rabbi Monk wrote that book. And it is so brilliant. Every page, every page, you can learn something about the Hebrew alphabet. It really is a must-have. Fabulous book. And in there, he mentioned something so beautiful. And he says that in the pasuk in Beresh's base, pasuk Chafalaf, where it says that Hashem va'yikach achas that Hashem took one of the sides of Adam Arishen va'yiskar and he filled in flesh in its place. Va'yiskar is spelled vav yud samach And you know what the medrash tells us in Beresh's rabbi Rabba Yudzayin vav from the beginning of the word Berechias until this word va'yiskar. Ain Kan Samach. There's no Samach. There's no Samach by any living being, not by the birds, not by the fish, not by the animals. The first living creation that has a Samach in it is mankind, Adam and Chava. And why? And he says something so beautiful, because if you take a look at the letter Samach, now, of course, I'll show it to you. But I know that we're on. um, But if you take a look at it, you see Samach is complete. You know, that's the value of Zoom or talking in person. You can see Samach is like a full circle. And why is that? Because the idea is that a husband is supposed to encircle and protect his wife. And the wife, in turn, is supposed to protect him. That's what the Samach is. That's the answer to the stira of the Gemara. They each have to be the Samach. Now watch this. When I thought about this, it occurred to me, that's why the ring that a husband gives a wife is a perfect Samach, right? And that's why at Hasana she walks around him. That's a perfect Samach. And you know what the Pasik for that is? It's got a Samach in it. The keva, to Saivade Gever. The, the keva, she walks around the um the husband and she surrounds him. As a matter of fact, if you would not believe it, but if you take a look at the Targum in Bereshia's base, Posik Yotres, SLOI Aza you know what the Targum is? SLA Samach. It's a Samach. It's beautiful. That's the Asa Connector. And my Mechut and Freddie Pfeiffer in Montreal, so like his own. he had a father, Jero Pfeiffer, who said something so amazing. He said, Asa Connecta is Book of Montreal 360. That's a perfect circle, three hundred sixty degrees. So, aza Connector, it all ties together. In other words, there's no question that the husband has to worship his wife and try to do whatever she he can for her. But on the other hand, she has to do the same thing to him. That's what the Asa kinegda. It's a long side, but it's an aza. It's a helpmate. It can't be one sided. If it's one sided, it's going to fall. That's, it's very be
0: that's very beautiful. That's very beautiful. it it sounds like that's the ideal, the samach. It's rounded. It's not jagged. It's smooth. That's what you're saying. It's right. smooth, but but lemaisa practically in life, everything doesn't always go so smoothly. Uh, things can get jagged, barbed. Things come up, and disagreements do come up. So, how would you say people should resolve those conflicts? The semech is the ideal, but it's never ever packaged so beautifully and smoothly.
4: Right, and and I think that it's very very important to know that Ezer Kenegdo within those words shows us that there's potential for conflict, but that's not the end of the world. Kinegde means opposing. Now, I'm going to show you something that is so amazing to me. I cannot believe, you know, when I think about it, that the Torah would kind of lift the shades on Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov and show us a level of conflict. Now, if you never thought about it in this way, it is just a pillar. It is just a wonder. And you have to ask yourself, why did the Torah tell us these things? And I think that the Torah is telling us these things to know that when there is some conflict, that's not the end of the marriage. That's part of marriage. As a matter of fact, my dear friend, Yaakov Solomon, who was a great therapist and a, a social, social worker, he once said the greatest chinuch for your children's marriage is that you should have a good marriage. And that's why sometimes when people come from a marriage that was dysfunctional, the first argument, they figure, oh, I'm getting out of here. I'm not going through what my father went through. I'm not going through what my mother through went through. I'm getting out of here. But when children see that there can be differences and there is a way of resolving them, then of course, you know, then the marriage can continue, and that's part of marriage. Don't forget, we're not allowed to marry our sisters. We're not allowed to marry our brothers. Wouldn't that be the greatest? We came from the same house. There'd be no conflict. We got the same ideas. No, no, no. There's an azer and there's a connector. And then Labasa Rashi says, in the child, there are Labasa not between them. When they create that new idea together. That's really what it's all about. This input from both. But let's watch something. You know, I'm going to show you something about Avram and Sarah. Now, we know that they had some conflict, right? Avram wanted Yishmael to stay in the house. Sarah wanted him out because she was afraid that he would influence Yitzchak. Avram, Avram. Hashem says to Avram, Don't feel bad about them. Call Sarah. Shema I know you're arguing with her, and I know that she wants him out, and you want him in because you, you're the greatest, you're the cure professional number one, right? So you figure you're gonna you're gonna save him, but you know something? No, sir, you're out, you're wrong. And Rashi says she had Avram Can you believe that that Nusara was a greater Naviyah than Avram was a Novi. So here there was conflict and Hashem resolved it. But now let's watch this. This is to me unbelievable. And this is a Moreshus base. Sora's laughing. She said, Now I'm going to have a child. My husband is old. Right? It's not going to happen. So what does Hashem say? Hashem has a taina. Bayema Hashem al Avram Hashem says, Avram, Loma Zahaka Why did she say? why did she laugh? And she said, uh ani Aniela Vanidza Kanti, and I'm old. That's not what she said. She said he's old. So what does Rashi say? It's unbelievable. Watch how the shades are lifted. Vanid Shona Hakasu, the Pasik Hashem changed with me asholai. Of and Sarah would have a shawl by his problem. Yeah. That's right. In other words, she said he's old. And if he would have heard that, she said that. Well, that could be a shalom bias problem. How come the Torah is telling us Avram and Sarah, the paragons of Yiddishkeit, right? They could have had a shalom bias problem. Yes, sir. That's Aza Connector. So don't fall apart when something happens. Because we see that there was a potential, even by Avram and Sarah. So that's amazing. Now let's watch by Yitzhak. Yitzchok and Rivka. Okay. Now we all know that Yitzhak loved Aesov and Rivka loved Yaakov because she felt he was a tzaddik. So the question is, I mean, why didn't she say, my dear husband, unfortunately, you can't see. And uh, you're a tzaddik, but you just don't realize, I'm telling you, Yaakov is a tzaddik. Why didn't she say that? That would have been obvious, right? It would have settled all the problems. Yitzchak would have given the bracha, you know, with the guns hearts, you know, to Yaakov. Why didn't she say that? I once heard, look at this. In Bereshach of Dalad, when Rivka first sees Yitzchak, in the distance, she's coming, right, with Eliezer's bringing Yitzchak. And then she says, who is that? She lifted up her eyes. She saw him and she fell off the camel. She was so in awe of Yitzchak. And then she says to the Ebed, who is this person? That's coming. Right? This is... You're the master, this is Yitzchak, this is the one you're going to marry. She took the veil and she covered herself. She couldn't even look at him. So she was in awe of him. Now, let's watch what the Netzev writes in Beresh's Koptal and She took the veil and put it over her head. She was so afraid. She was so in awe of him. Now, listen to what he writes. Her relationship with Yitzchok was not like Sarah Im Avram or Rachel Im Yaqov. Asheb Yoislam, Ezekapeda, they had a certain objection. So then Boyshu, They they wouldn't have minded saying something, saying something. If Rachel felt, as we're gonna say in a few minutes, that she had a time on Yaakov, she was able to say it. Sarah felt she had something Avram against or she could say Rifka couldn't say it. Rifka couldn't say it. Why is the Torah telling us that? Because that's not the ideal. The ideal is that it should be an open marriage. But over here, it wasn't because she was so in awe. Of him. that's what the netziv is telling us. And by Yaakov, and it is so painful to talk about. Rachel didn't have children, right? And she says, give me children. And by Yechar Af Yaakov Baruchah, in Beresh Islam and Pesach Beis, what am I instead of God? You know, I have children. But you don't have children, so that's Hashem. You have to go down to Hashem. What do you want from me? So the Medrash tells us, Barachis Rabbah Ayin of Zion, and the Ramban brings it. Hashem says to him, Kah is That's how you talk to people that are unfortunate. So by Avraham and Sarah, there was could have been a Shalom Bayis problem, but Yitzchok and Rivka, you see that it wasn't an open relationship, and by Yaakov, he said something, and the Medrash says he was punished for that. That's what Asa Connector is. Hang in there. Arguments happen. Difference there. Now, of course, they were a million times greater than us. And their arguments and differences were much different than ours. But just remember, that's what it's all about. You have to resolve them and you come together. And of course, they're the others and the most of Klam Yisrael. That's really what it's all about.
0: Oh, very powerful. So I, I'm hearing a, a number of important things, but two major themes. Number one is modeling by parents is critical. And number two, conflict is okay, but it's how you deal with it. So, exactly. So exactly. It, it, go back to the first point. Modeling by a parent, by others is, is critical. I, I remember growing up and my father used to tell me you can learn something from everybody, right? Some people you want to learn from what, what to do and some people you want to learn from them what not to do. So, you know, exactly what my father told me when I was learning to become a mile. He said, watch every
4: mile. That's what he said. Exactly. Yeah. I can't believe you said these words. He said, you will learn either what to do or
0: what not to do. Ah, So he, my father told me that when I was learning to drive and he says from some drivers, you want to learn what to do and when for other drivers, you want to learn what not to do. So if we're we're talking about the importance of modeling, can you tell us a lesson or two that you've learned in a positive way from other people's marriages, a model that you have, that you hold up, that you look to as an unbelievable example of how to act? Well,
4: I'll tell you just... The day that we're making the recording, it's less than a, two weeks since Rebertson Kamenetsky, Robertson Temi Kamenetsky, passed away. I'll tell you something very interesting. My parents were the Shatchanim for Rab Shmuel and his wife. My father and Rav Shmuel, learned in Israel they were roommates. And they used to feher each other on that first big long run in the Durham. So they were very friendly. And then when my parents got married and they lived in Williamsburg, there was next block. We lived on Rush Street. The Brookses, Chazam Brooks, lived on Morton Street. I remember him. His daughter was Temi Brooks. And my parents read the Shedach, Serap so, Shmuel. And his wife always, you know, anytime they saw me, they always said, you know, they were always so grateful. But a couple of years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to be at a Termasur of Principles Convention in Atlanta. And... Baruch Hashem, we were able to sit at the same table the whole Shabbos with Rabbi Shmuel and his wife. It was just remarkable to watch the derech that she had to him and that he had to her. With such a devotion and such a dedication to each other, it was remarkable. They Surely they were in their 80s at that time. At the beginning of the eighties, and 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 they were both that age, and they had a marriage that was wonderful to the point where even at the Lavaiah, his son-in-law, Rabbi Rab Shai Shachter, who I'm very close to, spoke about the devotion and the dedication, and he quoted a pasuk. I, I, I really want to quote this pasuk; it's so beautiful. He said this pasuk: "Chachmois noshim." Now that's in a Dalek Pesach Aleph and Chachmais is wisdoms, the wisdoms of a woman, of women build a house. So he said that the Goyen asks, although actually you could see it in Rashi on the Pesach, why does it say Chachmais, the wisdoms in Lashon Rabim and Besa is only Lashon Yachid, one house? Either should have said that the wisdoms of women build houses or the wisdom of a woman builds a house. And he said something very, very intelligent. And he said that there are many, many wisdoms that a woman has or should have to build a marriage. And that's what he said his mother-in-law had. There was menuchas and nefesh, no anger. Now, she had very strong opinions. Everybody knew that. She was very much into health and she felt very strongly about certain things, but she always respected somebody who disagreed with her on these health issues. And I don't have to tell you that today in the United States, you know, people are very, very strong willed against those who don't hold what they hold
0: as far as the health issues. And it's very polarized, very polarized because of that.
4: Exactly. Exactly. But she gave respect to everyone. And not only that, no anger, She had the power to build people, and that's what a good woman has to have. She has to have many, many different wisdoms to see the best in the child, to build a child, not to break a child, and to look for the talents in a child and develop them. Now, I'll give you a small example. I have five children, Baruch Hashem. I'm a big believer in sports. I feel every kid, boys and girls, should be great in sports. And the reason I believe that, and my sons, both of them, who today, can I know, are tremendous, were fabulous athletes, fabulous in basketball, in baseball, whatever. And the reason that I'm a big proponent in sports is because I believe that a kid who's great in sports builds a self-confidence. And then eventually, when you have that self-confidence, when you get older, then you realize what you really have to accomplish, and you can do anything if you have that confidence. So out of my five children, four were exceptional in sports. One daughter didn't like sports at all, but my, my wife saw, and I saw, that she loved to cook and to bake. So what I did was I bought her a subscription to Chocolatier magazine, and she would make the most awesome chocolates. It was unbelievable. And her name is Ellie Sheva, but we used to call her Ellie Sheffer, chef, like from a chef in the kitchen. And she developed to being such a fabulous cook and baker, better than anyone, because my wife and I, we saw that talent and this child and went with that. I wasn't going to force her to play basketball if that wasn't her. So you need the various Chochmites. And it's, it's a woman, really. The woman sets the toll for the house. I can tell you here in New York, Rahman Zan, a couple of years ago, we had that terrible, terrible, I don't know if you would call it a tornado or whatever, a terrible storm, Sandy, and millions and millions of dollars of damage. Baruch Hashem, nobody was killed, but so many men said afterwards, they lost this forum. They lost so many properties in, in the house and things. And so many said, off, my wife didn't have that confidence and give me that confidence that we could rebuild, I'd be finished. So the woman really has that Chochmah, you know, to build. And that was spoken about at that Leviathan. And then Rabbi Malkiel the Rosh Hashiva of Lakewood, mentioned this passage at the Leviathan. I couldn't get over it. He named Atoyi V'manoim Sheva Achim Gam Yochan. Now, the simple meaning is how beautiful it is when people Gam Yochan are together. Now, there's a Zoya. I've quoted this Zoya many, many times. That when men, when people get together, Gam Yochad Hashem, who was the Yochad, the Echad of he comes to a gathering when people are together. He nimatoi v'manoim, Shevaz Gam Yochad, then Hashem comes as well. So he said that when you went to the Rosh Hashiva's house, you saw the Shevaz Achim over there. That's why you felt the Shekhinah in that house. Hmm. Like the Rosh Hashiva of Ligwood should talk about the marriage of Rabbi and his wife that shows the holiness of the marriage and the shevas Achim and the mutual respect. And that's when I think, when you're asking about how to resolve, every person is different. You know, if you take a look when Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu that he was not going to take the Jews into Eretz Yisrael, so... Hashem, Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem to appoint, Yifkeid Hashem al-kei haruchos l'cho basa. That's in Pasha's Pinchas. Hashem, you who are the master of all people. Mana, Yifkeid Hashem isha to appoint somebody. So Rashi says, what is this isha la'kei ish? al- haruchos l'cho bosa? And Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Hashem, you know every person has a different mindset and appoint a leader that'll be able to tolerate every person according to their mindset and that's what a husband and a wife have to know they come from different backgrounds they come from different families and you have to be able to understand that it's not that they're against you this is how they were raised and I'll tell you a great story you know you mentioned my wife right in the beginning it's amazing how you picked up that, how capable she is at, and things like that. I want to tell you a great story. I didn't ask my kids if I could say the story. so I won't tell you which one it was, but I have a son. But not not Ali What? Not Ali Shaba. No. Not Ali <laughs> Not Ali <Alisha. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were living in Ernst Strell and they were living in this apartment and um, in, the, in the kitchen or whatever. There were like three bulbs in the uh, lighting fixture that they had in the kitchen. And one of them went out. Nobody changed it. The second one went out. And finally, my daughter-in-law said to my son, my daughter-in-law said to my son, don't you think you should fix the light bulb, change the light bulb? He said, I should change the light bulb? Isn't that what you do? Now, where did he get that from? Because my wife, in my house, my wife, all those things. So she grew up in a normal house, right? Where the husband does all these things. And he grew up in my house where I don't do anything except speak and write and do bristle or whatever. And she does everything. And I think that that's, you know, so it's you know, obviously, you know, she's waiting for him to fix a like, Oh, and he's waiting for her to do it because not that they had anything against each other because that's when that's how they grew up. And, you know, and I'll tell you another thing also, I think what's very important is that when a man and a woman see the talents that each other have, they should go with it. Now, when my father passed away, I was only 21. And so I, I guess I raised, but you know, I, I took care of my mother. I did the finances in the house because I, you know, I I was a at, already at 21 and, you know, supporting my mother, my brothers and sisters. When I got married, I realized my wife is a math major. You know, she she knows math. cold. So I'm going to do the checkbook. Soon. She should do it. She can do it. And she loves doing it. So in most houses, I would imagine that the husband is the one who does the finances and the checks. But if she's the maven, go with it. Let her do it. Why not? I she know. feels proud of it. The only things that I do in the finances seriously. And we have a great I do the us. All the stuck that I do. The Maise hashman that we do is all mine. Even when she will give, my Staka, she'll always tell me what she gave so that I can keep the Maise hashman That's what I do. But otherwise, you know, so then that's, you know, you recognize the talents and you go with it.
0: Right. So each couple has to figure out the strengths and, and weaknesses. Exactly. And what works for one is not going to work for the other, which actually... Exactly. Leads to my final question for you. It seems that things have become more challenging nowadays. Unfortunately, we have an increase in divorce, unhappy marriages. So why do you think that is? And based on that, what advice do you have for the younger generation?
4: I can just tell you what you are saying is so true, and it is so heartbreaking. Now, I'm involved in certain organizations. One of the organizations that I'm involved in is called Sister to Sister. Those are women that are never today's single parents. Now, I'm not saying that every divorce that happened should not have happened. There's sometimes when it's just impossible, when things are just impossible. And so I respect if somebody tells me that they're divorced, unless you really know both sides, you should never, ever, ever judge a single parent. That means you shouldn't judge a single man or a single woman because you don't know the whole story. I once heard a great expression from a dear friend of mine in California named the Friam Shaw. He wants that every person that you meet is going through something that you know nothing about. Every person that you meet is going through something that you know nothing about. So when you meet a divorced party, whether it's the husband or the wife, you can't judge. You just can't judge. But one thing I will say that people have to work on a marriage. And if it means going to a rob or going to a therapist, they have to do that. And you know, not everybody is willing to do that. I understand that because, you know, you look at other people, they seem so happy. You're thinking, why can't I do that? And why can't my family be like that? Why can't I have the nachas? So it's an instant coffee generation and there's no patience. We want instant gratification and it just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It it is a process and the process is not always easy. There's no question. It's not always easy. And I'm sure that there are times when a person thinks like, what in the world, what decision did I make here? But it's not the end of the world. That's the Asa connect day. That's the Eze connect day. So there's no question, I think, that every person has to have either a Rav, a Rebbe, or a Rosh Hashiva that they go to, that they would be able to ask. And like, for example, as I told you, you know that this morning I'm learning with Rab David Tone. I've been learning with him for decades. So he's my go-to person. But even Rab David. Has told me many, many times that when couples come to him, he's not a marriage counselor. So he will tell them after seeing them once or twice, but he won't see them more times again because he's not a marriage counselor. He'll tell them they have to go to therapy and then he'll advise them perhaps which therapist to go to. And there's nothing wrong. It used to be um, not a phobia. I'm not, uh, you know, like something like a negative thing if you had to go to a therapist. It's not like that. There are many, many from therapists, men and women. I'm dealing now with a young girl um, who her father wanted her to go to a certain male therapist. and She didn't want to go. And I was able to call Rabbi Babad from relief. And he was able to recommend a few women. And this girl is now going to one of these women. And she is very, very happy. She feels like the lady understands her. And there's no question that these people are wonderful people. Many, many of them are so wonderful and caring. And uh, you know that's that's really what it has to do,
0: right, uh, Robert Crohn? I, I do want to say uh, a lot of great eights is from you. Now, typically, I'd say somebody speaking party line or speaking conceptually, but but I see from the exposure that I've seen to you and your wife that you live what you say, and that we, that's, you, your words mean a tremendous amount based on, on what I've seen. So, yes, and I really want to thank you for joining us here today.
4: And I just want to add one more thing, if I may, okay? And this is from the Rambam and Hilchus Chuva, Perik Yud Halacha Gimel. Now, this to me is so startling. The Rambam says, "What is the love that you're supposed to have? That dedication to Hashem it should be so strong. How you love Hashem until your heart, your nefesh, your soul is kishura, is tied to the avas Hashem, and it looks as if you're almost lovesick." That's what he says. That's what the Rambam's lesson is. It's like the dedication and the commitment that a person has to a woman. And we all know one. we were all engaged, right? That's what we thought, right? Day and night, right? And that's what the Rambam says. Well, he's thinking about her all the time. When he's sitting, when he's getting up. He can't get her out of his mind, right? That's the same thing how, in other words, the marriage the love and the dedication and the commitment that we have in marriage, that's a stepping stone to show you how you're supposed to love Hashem. And then he writes, V'chol le'en That's what Hashem is all about. Shi'ashirim, of course, you can't understand it literally. You're not supposed to take it literally. And I'll tell you a little secret to me and you but and the millions of people that are listening. Do you know that when Art Scroll was going to write to the shi'ashirim, they had the biggest problem of all the Megillus? Because how are you going to touch it? Literally. It's very difficult, and Rab Gifter told so, he was the one who gave them the chizuk. Meir Zilmanowitz told me this many times. Rab Gifter told them you got to do it, and you got to translate and show how it's a mashal for what the Chazal understood. Because Shiashim we know could be difficult, but that's what the Rambam is saying. Shiashim is a mashal, and marriage is a mashal, and we know that every home is supposed to be the Migdash Maat. Right, your home is a based on Migdash. So if we can now build our homes to be the Mikdash Mahat, with Hashem, we come so close to Hashem, we realize what dedication and commitment is all about. We can be zeichah to the ultimate based on Migdash and we should all be there
0: together. Very good. That's why we say Veirach Stichli Leolam that the Ayres should be we're saying that to kaddish baraku and that should be the same relationship we have with our wives that it should be the erasing that should be the focus yeah it's funny uh, that you should say that i never thought of it this
4: way because when you're engaged that's how you're so committed so you know that engagement period should be
0: very good well thank you so much rabbi We thank you for having
4: me really a pleasure Atzlocha, slucha anytime just give me a call